You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jesper, and this is episode 113 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. And while Autumn is busy editing one of our stories, I have a great guest on for you today. Um, it just happens on a, let's call it, semi-regular basis that Autumn and I are asked about traditionally publishing contracts, and uh, some are also interested in becoming what is known as a hybrid author, meaning that you are both self-publishing and traditionally published. So I thought this would be quite a good topic to cover while Autumn is uh, busy doing other stuff. And uh, while Autumn did have a traditional contract years back we don't really have that much experience with this topic so today i'm going to be joined by andrea phillips and uh, andrea is an award-winning transmedia writer she does game designs and her projects have won awards like the broadband digital award the canadian screen award and much more she is published by fireside fiction and her short fiction has been published in escape pod and the Juice versus Aliens anthology. So, welcome to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, Andrea. And uh, I hope you are keeping safe during these crazy times. <laughs> Hello, thank you. It's so exciting to to be here. And uh, yes, yes, I'm I'm keeping safe. I'm a, a, a hermit in my home. We're even snowed in right now, so I don't know if I could. Oh, go really? Well, no, I'm I'm exaggerating. We we did get quite <laughs> a lot of snow. <laughs> very recently but um i i could probably escape if my house caught on fire you know it's 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 not so right. bad <laughs> i think you're in new york are you not yes yes i am in new york oh, we got okay. i think a, a foot and a half of snow over the weekend as we as we record oh my god yeah we yeah. don't really have that much so you know i'm in denmark and uh we have like one centimeter of snow or something like that <laughs> and uh it has been snowing the last couple of days but then yeah every day it melts away again so it's just gray that's what it is <laughs> that's usually what happens to us but i would have thought you know uh, denmark would be one of the places where it snows and then it just stays all winter and you have piles and mountains of snow by the end yeah, well, here between the Scandinavian countries, you know, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Finland, the other three countries actually do usually get quite a lot of snow because they're also much further north. Uh, Norway and Sweden and Finland are huge countries compared to Denmark. It's just like this little dot. <laughs> and uh, we're just slightly more south than the others. So we can sometimes get snow, but and mm-hmm. it does get cold during these winters, but most years actually it's not not that much mm-hmm. so uh yeah but <laughs> talking about the Mega weather we can planet. always do that <laughs> i know i know sorry sorry <laughs> no that's okay it, it, it is i'm the one starting it so but yeah i, I did a, a short introduction of you there andrea and uh it looks or it sounds like you do quite a lot of things but maybe you could share a bit more about yourself Sure, sure. I I always 
try to find a way to explain how all of the things I do are kind of related. And um, the, the transmedia work that I do is, is immersive storytelling. And I do a lot of it for, for brands um, out of marketing budgets. So I might help to make um, an app or an alternate reality game for a, a TV show, a movie, a video game. And uh, that's fiction writing. Usually it's, it's in someone else's, story world, but it's exactly the same set of tools that I use if I'm writing a novel for myself in terms of thinking about sort of characters and motivations and so on and so forth. Um, and then uh, I, I've written a nonfiction book about this sort of transmedia immersive storytelling, um, as well as uh, having, you know, I have uh, a novel that Fireside published. I have a couple that I've self-published um, and some shorts. And then, you know, I have a, a going freelance career. So I, I kind of do a little bit of all kinds of things. And somehow together, it all seems to make up a career. <laughs> Who knew? That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I want to get into all the hybrid authoring and, and contracts with traditional publishers. But, but before we go into all of that, do you find it's different to do the writing for games and, and, and those sorts of things, even though it, it's it's a story you're telling, but do you find the immersive part to be different compared to how you might want to immerse a reader into a novel? It, it is different. And it's it's actually a, a point of view change. I, I do a lot of writing in, in what amounts to second person. So when you're, when you're doing immersive storytelling, the person that you're telling the story about and the person that you're telling the story to are the same person. The audience needs to have some sort of active agency in the story to feel like they they can affect the outcome, to feel like they're really, really there, like the story is real. And obviously in a novel, you you're a little more removed and everybody knows that they can shout at the page, but that doesn't mean that the character is going to make a good decision instead of a bad decision. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's just a sort of a different framing and you can use different things in the one way or, or the other. I am. Um, yeah. I actually like to talk about the sort of the the emotional palette um, of feelings that you can make your audience feel. And with sort of traditional flat narrative where the audience is removed from the story, you can make people laugh, you can make people cry, you know, they can feel grief over a character that's died, they can feel, um, you know, joyous at you know a hero's great great victory but when you're doing immersive storytelling you can you can do other different things you can make a, a, an audience feel guilty over something that they did which isn't something that you can really do in flat fiction you can make them feel um proud of their their own achievements of what they've done which is again kind of hard to do in, in flat fiction so it, it's 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 not it's not better or worse, and it's not as different as this may make it sound, but it is definitely different. Yeah, but you also have the uh, visual medium to play with there, you know, uh, and also, of course, the agency of the person, for example, playing the game uh, and, and so mm -hmm. on, right? So, so in that regard, I guess the medium is also quite different compared to a novel where you just have to imagine everything in, in your own mind and you don't have any agency on what's going to happen. 
That's even true going from uh, novel writing to film. Um, uh, so for, for a lot, a lot of my, my kinds of work, sometimes we'll do video content. A lot of it is, you know, uh, vlogs, um, or security camera footage kinds of things to, to make it seem sort of, sort of realistic. And I hadn't realized before I did this, how much more detailed and how much clearer in your vision you have to be about every little thing. So, Mm. um, you know, when you're, when you're writing on the page, you can say, you know, messy dorm room, um, you know, there was a bicycle, uh, you know, strewn on its side, whatever. And and the, the one detail and then the rest of it, the audience fills in the gaps themselves. But in in film, in, in script writing, you know, the producers came to me and said, okay, we need to know more. What, what kind of lighting is it? What color are the walls? What time of day is it? <laughs> what is their hair like that day? Is it messy? Is it like, do they look like they've gotten enough sleep? Um, you know, are there posters on the walls? Is it clean? Is it dirty? All of these things have to be decided on purpose. So I, I actually have a lot more respect for cinema than I did before. Because it, it really, it really drives home how everything you see in a movie was something decided by somebody <laughs> to be there. Yeah, nothing is by chance. And then even even doubly so in a video game where literally nothing exists. Every cloud, every rock is something that was put there on purpose. Mm, yes, yeah. It's it's a very different style of writing as well, uh, and I think. Uh... Well, sometimes I hear people say that they're gonna. I'm gonna write a screenplay off of my novel, and always I'm thinking like to myself, like good luck, <laughs> because I wouldn't yes. dare do that unless I got a bit of training and insight on how to do it. Because I think it's a much more complicated method than you think. Yeah, and the, the problem is that novels are very, very internal. The thing that they're good at is letting letting you know about the emotional terrain, the, the thoughts and feelings of your characters as they go mm. through. And in in film, you really can't rely on that coming through. So <laughs> unless you have a very, very good actor. And you can't you can't rely on the actor seeing things the same way as as the writer did. Um, it's 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 funny. It's funny. Yeah, I can see that. But maybe then uh, getting a bit into topic here. So usually when we talk about being a hybrid author, as I said in the intro at the top, uh, it usually means that you'll have both self publishing uh, works, but you have also something that you have uh, more traditionally published. So I was wondering why why did you decide to become a hybrid author? Um so the first self-publishing thing that I did was actually a little a little story that I put on Kickstarter because I wanted an iPhone. And this is right. obviously going really far back. I think it was the iPhone 2. Um and I thought, you know what? I have this story, I could try and sell it to a market and that would take a million years and it probably wouldn't sell anyway because short fiction is really difficult to sell. So I said, well, if if I get you know enough money to buy an iPhone, then I will release it on my website free for everyone to read. Um, I think I think I even put it Creative Commons and 
you know, people, people will get to read the story and I'll get my phone and everyone will be happy. And it, it worked. And in fact, I got enough money to buy my husband an iPhone also. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought, you know, that that's pretty great. So a little bit later, uh, I kickstarted kind of a goofy serial idea um, about uh, a pirate. And it's a, it's a really sort of gonzo, weird, light, rompy story. Um, and uh, I, I did a Kickstarter for it. The Kickstarter was, was really quite successful. And uh, afterward, I, I made um, a choice of games game, actually, with, with choice script. Um, which was also pretty, pretty modestly successful and did a couple of licensing things. And, you know, I, I had not, not exactly an empire, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I made a decent amount of money with, with this, this sort of Lucy Smokehart thing. Um, and then at some point in there, I, I did, I did my traditional novel through, through Fireside with, you know, a regular contract and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and that was actually a really lovely experience because, uh, Brian White, my, my editor at Fireside is, uh, a really fantastic human being and a really, really good editor. So he, he helped me to, to let it be the story that he could see I was trying to do. And, and he wasn't trying to nudge it into being something that it, that it wasn't, which I think a lot mm. of, a lot of writers are, are afraid will happen. Um, and let me see, I did a bunch of, bunch of stuff for cereal box in there too, with, with book burners and so on. Um, and my most recent novel, um, is sort of a political thriller that I thought I would try and sell traditionally. Um, but it was very topical. It sort of had to come out last summer because it is about an election. And if you're writing about an election, you probably want it to come out around the time of the election, not that makes the sense. year after yes. the election. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I actually did give it to my agent and we had it on submission for a bit, but then we pulled it because it was it was too slow a process, basically. And we, we hit the point where nobody had, had bought it just yet. And even though it was still under consideration in a bunch of places, given publishing timelines, which are so slow, it, it wouldn't have been able to come out in time. It just wasn't feasible. And I thought, well, I'd rather have the book come out uh, in the reasonable time frame than, than not. And this time I just I just did it directly on, on KDP um, instead of doing a Kickstarter first. And I actually do regret it because it didn't do as well as my other other earlier Kickstarter things. Okay. Uh, and this is actually uh, a failure of promotion on my part, basically. I just didn't push it the same way because it, it's the year 2020. Everyone was fatigued and it felt weird to be shilling a book, even if it's, you know, the book of your heart in that moment. Um, so the stars didn't line up. It has nothing to do with the method through which I published it, and it has nothing to do with the book. It just wasn't a good environment for me to be pushing anything, I guess. No, um, no, I which see. Which is funny because I actually think it's one of the, the best books I've written. This is the first thing I've written where where people came to me and said, Andrea, this is really good. And they sounded surprised, like they didn't know I had it in me, <laughs> which makes me wonder if, if they'd been – 
kind of exaggerating about how much I liked prior things I'd written. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, but I'm now that you you sort of have a feet in both camps here, so that also gives you a bit of perspective. So I'm I'm wondering from from the way you see it, how do you see the main differences, but also I guess advantages of being a hybrid author. Mm-hmm. I I see the the advantages are are kind of you can you can pick and choose what you what you want to to try for in each category. And as as a self-publishing author, there are things that I know I'm going to want to write that I will never, ever be able to find a publisher for because uh, the market is too niche for a publisher to want to sink money into. But the amount of money that I need to sink into something to get it out the door of self-publishing is so much lower that I don't need to make mm. the same amount to make it worthwhile, you know? Um, mm. so for, for an episode of Lucy Smokehart, you know, if I, if I were to sell, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make up numbers here. I actually can't even remember real numbers. Um, if, if I'm selling, you know, a thousand episodes to make a thousand dollars and, um, you know, it's, it's, let's say 5,000 words long. Again, I'm just making stuff up here. This has nothing yeah, yeah, to sure. do with how, how, how the real things went. Um, then, then you know, and I spend maybe two hundred dollars on a, a quick copy edit, and you know, just use the art that I already have. You know, I, I'm making eight hundred dollars out of five thousand words, and that's really great. Where a publisher isn't really going to be able to offer me that kind of money for what is essentially a work of short fiction, right? Um, and I can do it on my timeline and I can, um, you know, just, just kind of suit myself in every possible way. Um, one of the problems that I've, I've had, it's not really a problem, but one of the, the constraints I've had in my career is um, since I do so much work for other people's intellectual property, um, I'm used to working in a sandbox and having to take into account know what what lawyers say and what clients mm-hmm. say and what the client's bosses bosses say and mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a lot of liberty in just being able to decide something on your own and and do it like it's very satisfying to just be able to do something on your own in a really gonzo way um, that said I feel like self-publishing is a tremendously larger amount of work than writing something, submitting it, editing it, and letting someone else worry about cover art, letting someone else worry about getting the copy edit together, getting a line edit together, letting someone else worry about promotion and timing and availability and schedules. Um, mm. And and sometimes yeah. I, I just don't have that in me, you know? <laughs> no, I understand. I mean, with self-publishing, you are going to get a lot of freedom, uh, but you're also mm-hmm. going to get a lot of tasks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and to, to some extent, you you get out of it what you put into it. Um, yeah. But but you have to put in a lot before you start to see much of anything. Yeah, but is it so when you are just sort of deciding your next book, for example, am I going to self-publish it or am I going to give it to my agent to sell it? Is it about 
the length of it versus, for example, also is it too niche or not? Or, or how do you determine which ones to self-publish and which ones to ask your agent to take care of? Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, I, I feel like in general, if I'm writing something novel length, I'm probably going to try and publish it through the traditional route first. Um, if I'm writing something that feels more like a serial to me, or if it's shorter, I'll probably go another path. Um, that said, I don't know if you consider short story publishing to be traditional publishing, um, but uh, my, my go-to for a long time has been if I want to publish a short story, I'll send it to Escape Potter Fireside. Um, right. Okay. Instead yeah. of doing my, my my sort of Kickstarter things, and that and that's a, a traditional route, just not books. It's it's <laughs> it's the other stuff. Um, but uh, I usually have a pretty good idea of where I want to send it. Um, while I'm writing it. Mm. And then at the end, um, I do have, I have material that my agent hasn't been able to sell. And in the case of my most recent book, I decided to self-publish it because I really believed in it. And then in the, in the case of another book, I'm actually just still sitting on it with the idea that we may be able to sell it later. And I don't think it would be a good fit for self-publishing for me um, just because of the, the nature of the, the book. It's, it's hard to explain. I, it's, it's, it's not even, it's an emotional thing. It's an emotional okay. logic thing and not, and not uh, an objective business decision, if you know what I mean. No, no, uh, that's fair enough. Uh, not not all decisions have to be objective all the time. Uh, I do know quite some of our listeners uh, are interested in pursuing a traditional publishing contract. So if you were to give some listeners some advice here, what would you say in terms of how do you get started and what is sort of the best approach if you want to find an agent and uh, get a more traditional publishing contract and so on. How, how do you go about it? Um, I mean, it's, it's the same, it's the same advice on all of the blogs that everybody says, you know, you, you do right. have to find, find a bunch of agents, see people who are, find, find people who are publishing things sort of similar in feeling to what you would like to publish, figure out who represents them and, you know, write a good query letter, letter, send it out. None of this matters unless your material is already as polished as you can make it. I, I don't advocate going out and getting an editor before you start submitting and so on. Um, but I mean, in the same with self-publishing, you need to make sure everything is absolutely as polished as you personally can make it before you send it out into the world, right? Mm. Um, this is actually pertinent advice for me personally, because I have a habit of dashing off a first draft and, and wanting to run with it. Um, right. In my defense, I, I do write fairly solid first drafts. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it's, 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 it's a difficult and slow process. And that's, I think, why a lot of people find self-publishing much more satisfying because it can take you a year 
to find an agent just waiting for uh, the agent that will become yours to get around to reading the manuscript and, you know, reading the partial and then asking you for the full and then reading the full and then, and then offering, it can take months and months. It can take a year. It can take longer. And nobody likes to feel like their career is on hold for that long. Right. And then submitting can take, even even that long or longer, I I know, um, especially in YA, uh, it was really, really backed up for a while and people were getting offers a year, a year and a half after their agents had submitted the manuscripts. And I mean, I know, right? And in that time at, we can publish four novels. <laughs> right. At, at a certain point you you just can't wait forever. Um so yeah, I, it's, it's the information on, on what to do on the, on how to do all of the right things is absolutely out there. And none of it is, none of it is, is difficult, which is to say, it's not, it's not hard to figure out what the right thing is to do, but it is mm -hmm. hard to figure out whether or not you can make your book any better than it is. It is hard to wait that long. It is you know, hard to maintain professionalism in all of your correspondence and essentially become your own marketing person and writing a query letter when the skills that go into writing a novel and the skills that go into writing a good blurb for that novel are really not the same thing at all. No, uh, that's true. Yeah. And but that, that's also the same thing that one, you doesn't want... mean you're great at the other. Anyway, go ahead. No, indeed. No, that's exactly what I was about to say as well, that, that because even if you say that, okay, I'm going to self-publish it, you're going to be confronted with a lot of uh, marketing skills or the need for marketing skills that you don't mm -hmm. need when you're writing the novel. So in some extent, I, I guess, to some extent, I guess you could say that it doesn't matter if you go one route or the other, you will be confronted with the fact that you have to put some marketing skills in place uh, and uh, exercise those skills in order to, to get somewhere. Um, but I was also wondering, because... We see some, at least some of the big, you know, it used, didn't it used to be the big six and now it's a big five and I guess it's going to be the big four soon as well. Yeah. Uh, so those are merging together. Um, but at the same time, we also see smaller publishers popping up in the market space. So I'm wondering, do you see that it's, is it easier? Is it more difficult or is it the same difficulty level to, to find an agent and find a traditional publishing contract nowadays versus what it was maybe four or five years ago? I feel like it's about the same level of difficulty. Even, even with the publishing mergers, for the most part, the number of imprints is still about what it was. You don't see, um, you don't see one of these mergers basically shutting down one of the arms completely. Um, but, um, I, and I feel like the, the level of competition is about what it was four or five years ago. Um, the, the marketplace has changed some, but only in the way that, that publishing has sort of cyclical fads, um, you know, this is hot and then that's hot. So, so it goes, um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's never going to be easier or harder, but also it's kind of a moot question because you, you don't have the option to go back and submit four or five years ago. It's, it's now is what you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> no, that's uh, true. 
but but, um, but I, I was more thinking that it might be a bit helpful to understand the yeah. difficulty level if you have to dis- if you're sort of if a listener is sitting there thinking should I try or should I not try should I just self publish instead of even trying then it is of course I think an important input to have in your mind to say, mm-hmm. well, it is a lot more difficult nowadays, or no, it's actually the same, so you can go ahead uh, and so on. I mean, it's it's a lot more difficult than it was in the 1940s, and that's that's about as as solid as as I think I could even say. It, it it's it's very difficult. It is definitely very difficult. It has been very difficult for at least all of all of my career. It will probably mm. remain very difficult. But that said, promoting and marketing and succeeding in self-publishing is also very difficult. And anyone who's done it, yeah, it is. deserves yeah. tremendous accolades because it's a ton of work and, and it's a ton of work um, that's, that's not easy to do well. So <laughs> that's absolutely true. The, the, the problem is if, if you want to be a, a, a writer and you want to be published through any means, it's it's not the sort of career where you were going to be able to kind of slack off and, and take it easy and have your career take care of itself. That That is never <laughs> no. going to happen. No, I think we've said multiple times on, on, the, on former episodes of this podcast as well that if you get into writing thinking that you're going to earn money, then uh, just quit now because there's way easier ways of earning money than writing. <laughs> so just... many easier ways. Yeah. <laughs> But um, one thing I was wondering as well, though, was that I can just imagine if I put myself into the mind of somebody who have who has uh, tried to pitch agents or publishers for ages, mm-hmm. and let's say like two years later, some agent comes back to you and say, hey, you know, I'm actually prepared to take this on. I can imagine a lot of people just jumping at the opportunity, thinking like, wow, that's wonderful. Finally, I succeeded. But how do you actually know? Because one of the things that we do a lot when we self-publish, uh, Autumn and I, for example, when we select an edit- editor, we are on the opposite side of the table in the sense that we are the one hiring the editor. But in this case, it's the other opposite way around. But just bef- because somebody says that they want to hire you, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is a good agent, that you're going to work well together with the person and so on. But I'm just a bit concerned that because of the long timescales and waiting time involved, that some people might just jump at the opportunity, even if their gut feeling is sort of saying to them that there's something off here. But mm-hmm. how, how do you go about or do you have any advice on, on how can you possibly vet a bit about if somebody, com- an agent comes to you and say, hey, let, let's, make a, let's make an attempt here to, to get your a publishing contract. How can you figure out if this is a good person or not? Yeah, agenting relationships are really difficult. They're they're a lot like a business partner partnership, which is in turn a lot like a marriage. And the, the power dynamic is also very strange because the agent works for the writer. But the way that, that getting an agent happens, it, it's common for the writer to feel like they work for the agent. And it's it's resulted in a lot of kind of bad relationships, frankly, b- bad marriages, where the agent isn't working very hard on behalf of the writer, and the writer feels like, well, this is just their their lot in life because this is the agent that chose them. You always do mm. have the ability to to walk away, 
And if you feel like if you feel like the agent isn't actually very enthusiastic about your work, if they if you get the vibe that they're only interested in this one book and they're not interested in your career overall, if you get the feeling that um they think that they can make a quick buck out of your book. If you get the feeling that they're chasing the market and not all in on you personally, then those are, those are red flags, I would say. Um, but on top of that, uh, you know, there are people who love an agent who gives them um, a really, really detailed set of feedback on, on a manuscript before they even submit it. And there are writers who absolutely hate that and just want the agent to sell what they wrote already. And uh, you have to look in your heart and, and decide if you want a hands-on agent or a hands-off agent, and then maybe do a little bit of research before you even submit to see what working with different agents is like, to see um, if they even sort of sell or seem to like the the subgenre you work in um one of my problems is i i have trouble deciding what genre i even work in so finding an agent <laughs> that that actually i guess deals with my kind of work is a little weird um uh but yeah, and the other thing is, if if you write, let's say, a lot of horror and a little bit of science fiction, and you have an agent that represents a little bit of science fiction and a lot of romance, but they're interested in your science fiction work, like that tells you probably that's not a good match because they don't represent the kind of work that's the bulk of what you're going to want to try to sell. Um, it's it's just it's it's complicated and messy and unfortunately there's no one true right way to do any of it which which uh before before we started recording i, I think I, I said i said something to you about how we're all just sort of making it up as we go along and it, it sounds it sounds like a joke but it's it's literally true we're all making up our stories as we go along but we're also all making up how our careers work as we go there there are no rules there there aren't any even many good rules of thumb you know if if your agent isn't sending you royalty statements maybe fire them if your agent isn't sending you your royalty checks definitely fire them um and beyond that it's all a matter of fit and suitability and what you want and what they want and whether it's the same thing it's a lot about I think being honest with yourself mm -hmm. uh, because it, it is, it doesn't matter. Well, you're absolutely right in the sense that the, uh, the agent works for the author, it, but I would almost go as far to say it doesn't really matter who, who it works for whom in, in the, in the relationship, as long as you're honest with yourself and you know, what kind of partners do I want to work with? And you're, you're both sort of pulling in the same direction mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, it is a, very very close working relationship and i say that of course without having any agent we self-publish all our work but 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 i have heard it so many times from those who do have an agent that it is a very very close working relationship and and if you don't feel like you know you're pulling equal amount of the weight then what's the point yeah yeah absolutely and uh again it's it's easy to feel like the agent picked you and so that's the agent that you get 
Um, but the reality is actually very different. And unfortunately, in many cases, you do need an agent. There are a lot of publishing houses that simply won't accept material that wasn't sent through an agent. Uh, so this isn't the sort of situation where you can say, well, who needs them? I'll just go on my own and keep the 15%. Um, but it's it's complicated. Everything is complicated. Yeah. But let's say uh, you then find your, the agent that you work well with, you have a very good cooperation, and then you do at some point land uh, one of the publishing deals with, with some publishing house that the agent has, has sold your, your book to. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I hear a lot, and I, I suppose that's true as well, but maybe you can add your reflections to it, is that you can't really expect that much marketing support from a publishing company unless you are like one of the real big hitter names. But otherwise, you are almost on your own like you are if you were indie publishing. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. Is that also your view? It's it's kind of true. It's mostly true, um, but it's also kind of not true at all. One of the okay. One of the big things to note is that one of the big advantages, I should say, of, of going with a traditional publisher is that they will be able to get your book on bookstore shelves. And that is incredibly difficult through any sort of a, a self-publishing schema. Yeah, that's true. So simply having your book on shelves does wind up selling more and simply being published through, um, you know, Hachette or Random House, you know, will make sure that more people are going to see your book. There are more opportunities for people to notice because you're you're starting out at an advantage. You're more likely to be sent to, um, you know, Publishers Weekly. You're more likely to be sent to Kirkus. You're more likely to be sent to um, the libraries. Libraries journal, librarian journal. I, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I'm screwing it up. And you can do <laughs> things on your own as self-published, but it costs tremendous amounts of money out of pocket, and you're not necessarily guaranteed any any sort of quality good review, and especially you're not guaranteed that anyone will see it. Where the weight of the publishing house sending you to Publishers Weekly instantly sort of sort of gets you up a notch out of out of the the vast sea of publishing the self-publishing work mm. um and so you're more likely to get noticed more easily you're more likely to be able to get distribution in libraries which can can result in quite a lot of sales um you know and, and that sort of thing it's 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 just being in a publishing house results in in a bit of a bump up But, But I suppose it also depends on what publishing house we're talking about, because of course, one of some of the bigger publishing houses they have, you know, big muscles that they can uh, mm -hmm. they can flex in order to get into airports and bookstores and all those yeah. things. But whereas a smaller publishing house, well, they might really not be able to do much that you can't do. I'm thinking mm -hmm. for a very small house, yes. Um, but even even like a small beer. Uh, you know, one of the one of the smaller presses, um, Subterranean doesn't do um, solicited sort of original material, but like but this, the smaller presses even still have the gravitas of sending to the reviewers and in turn selling to librarians, for example. 
um, that you have to pay a lot of money to get otherwise. Um, uh, but, but I mean, they're, they're not going to be all sending you out on a book tour. They're not all going to be putting, putting your book on, on bus shelters or billboards or, or subways mm. or wherever else. Honestly, nobody is going to do that for you unless you are Dan Brown. Um, I think part of that is because publishing advertising doesn't have a, a history of especially working very well. Mm. Um, I, I'd actually be interested in hearing you talk about uh, advertising for, for self-publishing at some point, because it's my understanding that there's a lot of advertising you can do and very little of it is proven to work. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, we have, uh, we have multiple, uh, episodes on this feed as well about marketing books as a self-published author, but, uh, there is indeed a lot of things you can do across uh, Amazon ads. You can run BookBub ads, Facebook ads, uh, all this click-to-play ads. There, there's a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is that it's not it's not that easy. It's not like you just uh, create an ad and then you start selling books. Uh, because first of all, there is the return of investment that you have to take into account. So you can't just bid like $2 per click or something because... The, co- the book costs two dollars, maybe. So, so it's it's pointless. Uh, so there's so that to take into account. Hundred dollars to make twenty dollars in in. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. So you you might be able to get to the stage where you're selling books, but you're not earning anything from it. So that in itself is an issue. So from the inter- indie author perspective, uh, you can move some sales short term by by uh, click to play ads if if you sort of narrow down the audience well enough and, and you do well enough in your ad copy and so on. But the real trick of the trade is is to build an email list because that's where your money is long-term. And, and that's mm-hmm. where that's where our focus, my, myself and Autumn, for example, we only focus on building the email list. We do have some click-to-play ads running, but not a lot, and we don't spend a ton on it. Um, we just have a bit running, uh, but... Other than that, all our marketing goes into trying to uh, give people some something for free in order for them to join the email list, uh, so that we can start talking to the people. Not not about selling to them, but more over time build a relationship with them uh, via the emails, and they get to know us better. And then, of course, if they like us, then at some point we hope that they're, they're going to buy some of the books. But again, if you just get people onto the email list with the on- only purpose that I'm going to send you a ton of emails promoting some stuff. That's not going to help. Yeah, you have to go into it because you want to have an online relationship. Let's call it that with the readers. Otherwise, it's it doesn't matter as, as well because people will just unsubscribe. You, I'm sure you can you can recognize if you uh, the the email list you might have signed up to where they just keep emailing you offers about this and that. It's it's pretty annoying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The worst one I, I ever had um, was for a, a children's clothing brand who, who I, I signed up for, for my, for my daughter and they wound up sending me a marketing email literally every hour. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. No, but, but it, it is this very fine balance to walk because on one hand you have also to get your email list into the mindset that once in a while I am going to try to make you an offer for, to buy something that is going to happen, mm-hmm. but you have to walk this final balance between I'm not here to push sales in your face all the time. And uh, I'm here to actually, because I want to, us to have like a two-way communication going over the emails. Um, 
But at the same time, once in a while, I do hope that you're going to buy something because if you're not, then I can't even keep doing this anyway, right? So there is that element into it. And I know authors who, self-published authors who either try to sell all the time, which is not good, but there are also those who fear selling anything. So they just keep being buddy buddies with the people on the email list forever without ever selling them any of the books. And that doesn't help either because at the end of the day, you're paying for the people who are on your email list. So you have to sell something as well. So it is a very fine balance to walk. And yeah, I think as you said as well around the traditionally publishing stuff, it, it none of this is easy, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter which route you take here. It, it is not easy. Yeah. Yeah, but, it, but, it was- but I don't know if there is there anything we sh- I sort of forgot or didn't think about asking you when it comes to traditional publishing contracts or being hybrid authors that you feel like this is an important point that should have been mentioned. I just I just want to reiterate there's there's kind of no no right or wrong way to do anything. It's it's what works for you and doesn't work for you, and what works for your audience and doesn't work for your audience. So your circumstances may be different. Um, your, your goals may be completely different. It's entirely possible that you're not in it for money, but for, um, you know, reach and you want to find a way to reach as many people as possible. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, you know, it's, it's all a matter of, of what you want to get out of it. And you have to have that in mind before you start deciding how to do it, uh, just mm. like everything else in life. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I also want to thank you, Andrea, for coming on to the uh, Amwriting Fantasy podcast here today and uh, and give us some insights on on a, an area where at least Autumn and I are not the most proficient <laughs> people. <laughs> so uh, that was nice to get some uh, insight inputs on, on that for because I know I know some listeners are interested in this area. So uh, so thank you for doing this. Oh, it's been a really good time. Thank you. Excellent. Is there any place where people can go on the internet or you want to point people on the internet if they want to learn out, uh, learn a bit more about you? I would say you can go to my website, which is Deus Ex Machinatio, which is a pun in Latin, but you can actually also go there by andreaphillips.com. It goes to the same place because right. I, I realized I had made a terrible mistake <laughs> at some point. Um, and I am sometimes on Twitter at A-N-D-R-H-I-A. Okay, that's that's perfect. So, Andrea, I'm also thinking that um, if you email me those uh, links, then I will put those in the show notes for you and people can follow them straight from there. Oh, wonderful. I'll do that right now. Perfect. And on to today's topic. That was the wrong sounder. I, this one was the one I was looking for. So uh, next Monday, Autumn will be back and we're going to talk about one of her favorite topics, namely editing a novel. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash AmWritingFantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday. <laughs>